check the box, male or female. With pride, I check female. A pride that is derived from beating the odds. They say we are inferior, or rather, they program us to feel inferior. And yes, I should feel inferior when culturally I am at a disadvantage. I come second to my male counterparts at every chance the oppressor, the programmer, is availed the opportunity to prove his point. I've seen the look in many timid faces of my sister girls many times when they have been placed in submission. Even worse, when we condone this position. But no, not me. In the words of Eleanor Roosevelt, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. So I decline every time you put me in line to be your underlying feeling. I refuse your projection. I am girl. Girl is me. Nurturer. Mother. Leader. Not what you expect me to be. Deep Dive with me, Vanessa Day. It's funny. I had a guy I was once dating. And he said to me, why is it so important for you to speak about girls like this? Like, it was weird to him. He said, I think that girls should stop this banter about e- equality or fighting for, you know. I, I looked at him. I said, how do you mean? Please elaborate. He said, well, women are stronger than men. I said, yes, we are. He said, when you keep fighting for something, people get tired of you and they ignore you. And I just was baffled by this nonsensical notion of his. But I also felt that I wasn't in a space to argue with him about it because some people culturally are programmed to look at women a certain way. Now, I come from, I come from Tanzania. I come from East Africa. I come from societies that are very patriarchal. Men are the leaders of everything. Even though, if you think about it, women build our communities, like time and time again, even in our homes, in our small communities, mothers take care of the children. Okay, well, they birth the children, of course, but they also take care of the children when our breadwinners are away. They feed the children, even when our breadwinners can't feed the children. Mothers, they plow the fields. I actually recently watched an interesting movie on Netflix, um, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. And I remember one part, this, the daughter was arguing with her mom about, you know, there was an issue about being able to feed the family. And she was arguing with her mom. And she said to her mom, there'll be one less mouth to feed if I leave or I leave to get married or if I leave the house. So there's more for everyone. And I remember her mother saying to her, now I don't have a child, so I felt deeply connected to the daughter's emotion. However, her mother's response was, do you not see that I will break my back before my child is hungry or sick or unhappy? So 
in that moment, I, f- I put myself in the position of a mother as a nurturer, you know, and I feel this way about just people around me in general, even as a young woman who is chasing, living, breathing a dream. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that when I stand on a stage as a singer, as a female singer, as a musician, I can be 10 times more prepared than my male counterparts. I'll give you an example. To get ready for a normal show, a woman has to first get her hair and her makeup done. That takes hours. A woman has to rehearse her butt off for her performance. Vocally, if she's a dancer, get her choreography right. If she's, you know, a little overweight, she's got to work months on end to look the part. And all of these are because we want to be a full package, whereby my male counterparts don't have to be half as prepared as me. Now, in Africa, or at least in Tanzania, every time I get on stage and I'm giving my all, vocals are on point, my body looks great, my outfit is 110, and then I'm like killing it with the moves and like performing the heck out of, you know, killing the show. The audiences are silent. And at first this troubled me a lot. I was like, why won't they respond to me? And I thought it was a personal thing. And I really battled with this. I was like, what am I not doing right? But I noticed that every time I would turn around and shake my ass a little bit, I'd get a crazy response. They would be like, Wah! now mind you, the audiences comprise of 70% male, 30% female. And when you're performing for a lower LSM, it's like most of the men are up front. For security purposes, the women will be at, you know, like the back end of the show. So I'm talking about like an open air stadium type show that has about 30,000, 50,000 people or even less. Even like a room, I mean, a space with 5,000 people. That's still a lot of numbers, open air. And so this troubled me. I was like, where, why am I not getting the response that I want except when I turn around and shake my ass? And so I had to kind of like plow this culturally and look at it. And then I found the answer. I found the answer. And the answer is African men are not programmed to see women in positions of power or leadership. How can you stand on a stage and say, hands up or sing and, res- and expect these male fans to sing back to you? If they do that, it means they're submitting to your power. And so culturally, it's embedded in them that, no, bitch, shake your ass. You know what I'm saying? So what I ended up doing is I would test it out. Now, I've been in a very long relationship with a male artist from Tanzania, a great guy. I would test it out with him. I would perform at shows and I would do about 70% of the show without him on stage. And then I would invite him on stage towards the end of the show and you could literally see the heightening of the show. And it troubled me a lot and I'd go back home and I'd be so pissed at him. I'd be like, why did you have to do that? Really, he didn't do anything. He was just being a performer and he was just being, you know, a partner. And when I finally got over the need or the want to get a response from 
this very male-dominated fan base, I started to enjoy my shows. I didn't care if they made noise or if if I got a response from them. I said, you know what? They're going to look at me and respect the shit out of my performance and be like, damn, she bad. I was watching Coachella and I was watching Beyonce's performance when she did last year. Yeah. And I was looking at the audience, too. And for the first few minutes, they were completely like, ah, crazy screaming, which is usually the case. And then they all went silent and they were in awe. And then I got a different perspective. I said, maybe they're in awe. And so that's the perspective I've stuck to since then. (laughs) Anyway. The reason why I bring this up is because this is just a small example of what we have to deal with on a daily as performers, as women in any industry. You can correct me if I'm wrong or you can reference your industry, you know. I know a lot of times when people don't want to deal with a force that is a woman or a woman in power. And this is the case across the board in every industry. So. You know, I think that the discussion of it is helping a little bit more and people are becoming more aware. And there's also um, programs to facilitate more women in positions of power now. So that's great. But now I'll take you back to a situation I was in a month ago. I recently did a nationwide tour, recently being last year. I did a nationwide tour called In Love and Money. It was the first tour of its kind. I remember trying to find funding for the tour. Now, the system is a bit different in Africa. As an independent artist, you have to basically fund everything. You know, you're going to pay for your videos, do your videos, ah, distribution, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I really wanted to do a tour that catered to me as an artist. And I didn't want to do the types of shows that were that I was invited to. Sometimes say the sound was whack. The stage didn't bring out my best side like I just wanted to do more as a creative for myself and to give my fans a better experience now as we went on this tour I added my partner on board I said you know added value of course I know what people want as the businesswoman I said okay it could only make it better so we did this nationwide tour. It was fantastic. We were selling out like venues, 15,000 people to like 20, 25,000 people. Outdoor venues, crazy cool. And so it was uber successful and we had planned to uh, continue this tour. So we went on the Burundi leg of the tour, which was our first outside Tanzania leg of the In Love and Money tour. While I was in Burundi uh, and while we actually throughout the course of this tour a lot of people said to me you know females don't sell out arenas right you know females don't fill up venues right you know nobody comes to a female i said okay that's fine i don't mind i you know i'm all about defying you know the odds and if five people come i'm gonna perform the hell out of you know give my best show for these five fans anyway We beat the odds and we go to Burundi. We're in the city of Bujumbur, which is the capital city of Burundi, which is in East Africa. Venues filled up at 7 p.m. Now, in Africa, shows fill up later on in the night. Like, shows only begin towards, like, 10 o'clock at night. That's when the venues start to fill up. But the venue was full at 7. I hadn't even put in my wig. So... (laughs) I literally had to like put myself together 
And I went to the show and it was packed and it was a Sunday night and it was open to everyone like all ages. So I was happy that, you know, we could complete the show early so the kids could go to school tomorrow morning. So the show was packed. Everything was successful. I had the greatest response out of Burundi. Mind you, this is the first time I'd ever visited the country of Burundi, which is a country that's been suffering for a couple of years. It's been in turmoil. It's been a lot of um, political instability. And the image that you have of Burundi, or at least what you see in the news, is that it's, you know, there's a lot of war. They're in combat. There's constant, like, um, friction. And that wasn't the case. I bumped into this beautiful land you know picturesque like as beautiful as any eastern african nation and the people are so welcoming and kind and at least to me they were the exact opposite of what i would i would expect you know and so my whole thing the whole time i was there was to kind of change the narrative of what burundi is portrayed as and you know we did that so much across social media the whole time we were there. Anyway, long story short, the show was a great success. Now, a few days ago, I read in the news that, and I have to refer to a write-up on this, but I read in the news that three teenage schoolgirls in Burundi were arrested for doodling on the president's photo in their textbooks. So you know how we could be idle in class or in school or in a meeting, or it happens all the time. So the girls were arrested, and after posting bail, and set to stand trial. We are still waiting for their verdict. We don't know what's to happen. And to me, the court is acting independently from the president. There is an ongoing hashtag, free our girls, and it's going viral to get the Burundi government to drop the charges against the young girls. I'm gonna take you back to 2017. I was once a part of a free Vanessa Day hashtag. How did this come about? <laughs> I laugh as I tell this story because every time I tell this story, I only tell it when I'm super drunk at a bar sometimes because I want to forget that it ever happened. Mm, there was a witch hunt on drug users, drug smugglers, and drug mules. A huge anti-drug campaign in Tanzania in 2017 because of obviously... Whether you know it or not, it seems as if the East African coast or the ports of East Africa seem to be a hub for a lot of incoming drug transportation across sub-Saharan Africa. Anyway, I don't know. So they say. Please don't quote me. I was in South Africa at the time shooting an episode of MTV Sugar, which was my very first acting opportunity. I was playing a character called Storm, who was this fierce young openly sexual being the show is a show by mtv staying alive and it's a very um it's a show about sex awareness and hiv aids anyway first acting gig totally immersed in it my contract is signed for me to finish this show i left south africa for nairobi i had a gig in nairobi and then i was flying right back to south africa to continue shooting the episodes of the show now i'm in nairobi and I'm shooting a music video in between, like, everything. I have a show at night. I'm shooting a music video. These are all things the girls have to do. Mind you, you know, trying to beat the clock. I get a DM on social media, on Instagram. Somebody sends me a DM, a video of the district commissioner of Dar es Salaam announcing a list of names of people who must surrender themselves to the police station in under 24 hours. 
these are suspected drug users, smugglers, peddlers, mules. And I'm like, okay, my name is number 20 on the list. The last name. And he says it with so much pride. He says, and last but not least, this is a direct translation from Swahili. He says, last but not least on this list is, oh, our dear superstar, Vanessa Day." So I look at this video at first. And I'm in between takes shooting a music video. I'm like, what is he talking about? I just I ignore it. But then my phone starts to blow up. And my mother calls me and I'm like, what are you talking about? So then I go see the actual full length clip of this whole announcement. And I sit there and I'm looking at this and I'm like, what, what is going on? So I call my manager. I'm like, can you explain? And he's like, so the district commissioner has put you on his list of you know, supposed, like, you know, drug, you, whatever's. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, what type of drugs are you talking about? No, <laughs> I'm actually talking like, what is he talking about? Because in actuality, I have no idea. So I then, you know, get the full story. And basically I'm supposed to go to Tanzania within 24 hours and and I, and I then send my lawyer on my behalf to be my representative and say Vanessa's out of the country so on and so forth I fly back to South Africa to com complete my contractual obligation for this TV show so it's we're going to complete this show in about a week and a half so I finish shooting at this point in time everybody who's on the list has already been publicly ridiculed on national television on social media and has been held in remand like they're in custody what do i do i relax myself because i have to give my best for this tv show and then thereafter i'm going to head over to tanzania to you know submit myself to authorities at this point in time i'm thinking i'm demoralized and in my spirits i'm thinking trying to understand the reasoning for this. What is the actual thought process? I've never done any of these things. I am completely innocent, but nobody's going to believe you because who's going to believe a young, very successful, always traveling musician over the district commissioner of Dar es Salaam? Nobody. So what do I do? I fly back to Dar es Salaam, which is the city in which I live in, in Tanzania. I arrive late night and my lawyer says to me, tomorrow morning, we're going to go to the police station. So I prepare myself. I take my wig out, put my hair up in a bun because, you know, girl, if I'm about to get into this cell, <laughs> nobody's going to flat iron my shit in there. Anyway, so I, I go and um, I get interrogated for a couple hundred hours and they take a urine and a blood sample and I'm thinking I'm done, right? I can go home, right? It felt absolutely embarrassing, first of all, because I've worked tirelessly to build this brand, a clean brand, mind you, in an industry that people will dismiss you at the first instance of hearsay, whether they believe it or not, whether, you know what I mean? Like people don't give a fuck about like all this other shit. They just know what they hear and they believe what they hear a large chunk of the time. Anyway, so I'm thinking I'm going home. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Due diligence. Hey, peace out. Thank you, everybody. I'm innocent. I literally go home in handcuffs to pack a bag 
which I think is an overnight bag because I'm supposed to stay in custody for the night until my results come out. And I'm thinking, okay, but you already have my passport and I'm not going to flee the country. Anyway, long story short, they do what they have to do. It's, you know, government policy. They're supposed to, you know, I don't know, raid your house, make sure you're not, you don't have an underground stash of God knows what. I don't know. Anyway, go back, sit in an underground cell. Mind you, it is male and female, one huge light. Let me describe this for you. Okay. So to get into the cell, you have to go underground. And it's a huge corridor with cells adjacent to each other. There's about like eight cells in this holding space. And the lady cell is one room whereby the guys are free to mingle across the different cells and across the corridor. When you want to use the bathroom, you have to <laughs> ask for the lady cell to be opened and you could go use the bathroom and whatever. Long story short, I've been a part of a hashtag where I've been wrongfully accused of something and I didn't have the opportunity to clear my name to date. I was in that cell for seven days. And another two months after, because my passport was confiscated, I still don't know what I was being held for. And if you ask me, I'm pretty sure my urine and blood samples were absolutely clean because I have never. And so my whole thing is I, was, I felt attacked and I'm still suffering from the embarrassment, the accusations. I recently got the opportunity to work with an international fashion brand and we were at the point of signing the deal. And they said to me, oh, by the way, we Googled her name and drug case comes in third under the Vanessa Day title. And so for me, it's like, what do we do? What do we do in governments where Sometimes you're punished for your excellence or sometimes you're punished for your doodling. I'm just having a conversation with you. I'm expressing myself because I've never actually spoken about this because it's annoying to me. It's annoying that I have to keep having to fight for people to see me as this hardworking, successful, talented woman. And then in an instance like this, have somebody shatter that. Anyway. As a woman, I decided that I would not dwell in that negativity. So immediately after I came out, I continued to defy the odds. I dropped my album a few months after. My album is still the number one album in East Africa. Hey! <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is I'm still very much aware of what it's like to be accused for something that you're not guilty of and to have to clean up after that, especially in an industry such as mine. So when I think of instances such as these and my whole journey as a woman and what it's like in this industry and very many other industries and what people will hold against you or how people are so quick to sign you off or be like, nope, we're not going to use her. It's important for me to fight for women. So I started a foundation. And with my foundation, it's called, let me take it all the way back. The foundation is called Udada Foundation. 
Dada is Swahili for sister. So look at your sister and call her Dada every day and say, hey, Dada, you're killing it. Anyway, Udada is a foundation for young women and girls founded by my sister and I. What we do is we provide solutions. So solutions for quality education, solutions for clean water and sanitation and, you know, health. And we we pride ourselves on being like sisters. We want to create a sisterhood or a sistership amongst young women and girls who don't necessarily feel like they have access to women who are in positions of power, women who have influence, or women who have perspective, which is important, especially from coming from where I'm coming from. People don't have much access to the internet, but when they do, their role models are twerk queens. Now, I ain't got nothing against the twerk queen. I twerk all the time. But there has to be depth to it. There's got to be more. Women have to feel as if they can be all these different kinds of women. I'm a dancer. I let my, I'm loose. I dress however I want to dress. I'm in control of my image and my body and my messaging. But it's important for young girls to have girls who are popularly known for being whoever they are, but also can be like, hey, this is my story. So we have programs. We started the Udada Talks, which is very similar to the TED Talks. I call them our little powwows where we go to little community programs, outreach programs or girls' schools. And I go with someone popular or someone they might see on social media and think, oh, she fancy. But I want them to tell, I want her to tell them her story. Everyone's got a story. And so that's what we do. We have the programs like the Udada Talk programs. And then we have the 100 school program. We're lighting up 100 schools. So providing sustainable solutions and clean energy for schools in our region and i hope that we can branch into more regions for me it's all about creating like a better livelihood for our sister girls so that's what we're doing we're changing the narrative we're challenging our governments and we're taking back what's rightfully ours thank you Jam Street Media.